we want to sing of the goodness of God, and we want to see God's goodness as well. And so we want to see his goodness in the word this morning. So we're going to turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. It's in the New Testament. It's just after the books of Ephesians and Galatians. We've been doing a series in Philippians. This is our final Sunday on that. And uh, next week, I'm very excited, we'll be going through a series on the prodigal son. In Luke chapter 15, we're going to see how God is a pursuing God, and he's a joyfully pursuing God at that. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 and following. I will say again this morning, just um, we're so grateful for all of you who come Sunday in and Sunday out. We're also grateful for some of you here this morning that may be visiting for the first time. We hope you feel welcomed. Um, I also want to say that if there's any questions that you might have after our service together, I'd love to, to meet you and uh, talk with you after the service. I think one of the reasons that we join together Sunday in and Sunday out is because uh, whether we could maybe describe this desire in our hearts or not, all of us have a deep longing for community. Uh, you don't have to be a believer in Jesus to long for community. You could be anyone, I believe, because God's made us all in his image. And we, we long to share our life with others. Uh, we long to not only care for others and love others, but we also love to be loved by others and to be cared for as well. And a true experience of genuine, real, deep, refreshing community is a real gift, isn't it? And when you experience, you, you might not be able to describe what it is that you're experiencing, but you know in that moment, this, this is community. Well, I want to share a story about a young lady. Her name was Miranda Keegan. And she was writing as a college student. She was graduating, and the daily newspaper of her college uh, picked up this article that she wrote as she was preparing for graduation, and it went viral. This was 2018. In 2018, she writes this right before her graduation. She's getting excited about graduation and all it means. She's surveying what college has been like, the community that she's experienced. She's a little anxious about what post-college will look like. Uh, she wrote an article called The Opposite of Loneliness. And it touched a nerve so much that in one week, 1.7 million people read that article in 98 different countries. It connected to people's hearts. Uh, let me read to you a portion of that article. She says this. It speaks to us whether we're believers or whether we're, we have questions about Christianity. She's talking about our longing uh, for community. She says this. We don't have a word for the opposite of loneliness, but if we did, I could say that that's what I want in life. What I'm grateful and thankful to have found at this university and what I'm scared of losing when we wake up tomorrow and leave this place after graduation. It's not quite love and it's not quite community. It's just this feeling that, that there are people, there are an abundance of people who are in this together, who are on your team. And when the check is paid, you stay at the table and keep telling stories. This also scares me. More than finding the right job or the right city or the right spouse, I'm scared of lo losing this web of relationships we're in right now. This elusive, indefinable opposite of loneliness. 
You know, she mentions that, and there were so many people. There were over 1.7 million people in the world in that first week that said, I want that. I want the opposite of loneliness. I want community where we're all in it together. And that's one of the things that Paul is going to show us as he wraps up the book of Philippians. He's been talking about joy. He's been talking about humility. But he's also been showing, hey, when the gospel is really growing in your heart and you're grasping it in your life, you want that to bleed out in how you do community. And we're going to get a picture of healthy gospel community as we look at this passage. Would you stand with me as we read Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 and following. This morning as we look at this passage, we're going to see what it means to live in gospel community and what it means to live with gospel contentment. Verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. God's word which he has given to you because he loves you and he wants you to know him. Let's pray. Father, we love this portion of your word. Philippians has been such a joy to walk through as, as you through the Apostle Paul and by the power of your spirit has pointed us to a heart filled with joy and humility and community. Father, once again... Illumine our hearts to understand the very word that you have inspired and change our hearts and change our lives, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Again, we want to look at this morning what it means to live in gospel community and what it looks like to live with gospel contentment. Those will be the two things that we look at this morning. The first thing is that we're called to live in gospel community. That's one of the things that when it comes to the gospel of Christ's life, death, and resurrection, one of the things that the Bible is very quick to point out is that we're not only united to Christ, as beautiful as that is, but we're united to any and all who also profess faith in Christ. So it's wonderful, one of the wonderful things, if you're ever questioning what Christianity is all about and what does the Lord provide for us, it's not only the grace of Christ 
out of the Father's deep love for you, He also places you in community with others. He knows that there's joys in life that should be shared. He also knows that there's sorrows in life that should be shared. That there's challenges in life that need to be endured. There's encouragements in life that need to be enjoyed by everyone. So he places us in community. And I would say not just for believers, but for even those who don't know Christ or have questions about Christ. Community is not optional. It's essential. And God gives us that in the church. And we can see how this community is being fleshed out here in this text. I want to show us this morning that living in community means a variety of different things. But here's one of the things that God is going to do in you, in your heart, as you participate in community. As you enjoy the the relationships that God has called you into. That by doing that, by living in gospel community, God is going to grow your heart in humility. He's going to grow your heart in empathy. And he's going to grow your heart in generosity. And we see all of those here in this text. The first thing is that by living in gospel community, God is going to grow your heart in humility. In, in fact, you could call humility the main theme of Philippians. That all of us have these hearts that have a tendency to say, whether we acknowledge it or not, me first. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Christ died so that those who live, he's talking about all of us, would no longer live for ourselves. And what's wonderful here in this passage is you see this back and forth. You see Paul saying, Philippians, my thoughts and concerns are about you. And the Philippians in return looking at Paul saying, our thoughts and concerns are about you, Paul. See, humility is not necessarily or primarily thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves a lot less. And so Paul's mind is consumed with, how can I serve the Philippians and care for them and shepherd them and take care of them and help them enjoy the gospel more? And the Philippians are thinking about Paul saying, how can we care for Paul? How can we love for Paul, provide for Paul? They're not thinking about themselves. They're thinking about him. And Paul is thinking about them. When God calls you into community, it's a place in which he's going to increasingly train your heart and fill your heart with the grace where you grow in humility. Uh, You'll notice in verse 10, Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. So there's humility. They aren't thinking about themselves. They're concerned for Paul. Then he goes on to say, you are indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. In other words, they had concerns for how Paul was doing, what he needed. And so now he's saying, now you know what my needs are and, and you took care of me in that. You provided for me in that. You can see he goes on in verse 14. It says, It was kind of you to share in my trouble. You Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving. You see this all throughout. It's you were not thinking of yourselves, Philippians. You were thinking of me. And not only that, but through me and my ministry, all of those people who would come to know Jesus Christ, Philippians, you are learning what it means to live in humility. You are more and more concerned about the needs of others and less and less consumed about your own needs. And you see that all throughout this passage. 
That's why Paul in Philippians chapter 2 says, make it a point in your lives to not make your own needs a priority, but to make the needs of others a priority. And that's what you see being fleshed out in this text. Paul is saying to the Philippians, I care immensely for you. And your needs are a priority for me. That's humility. And also the Philippians are looking at Paul saying, well, Paul, we care immensely for you. And your needs are a priority for us. See, they're consumed less with themselves and more with the needs of the people around them. That's true as they engage Paul in an official capacity as an apostle. But it's also true of all of us in our relationships. That as you engage in relationship and community, that's where God will grow you in humility. You will increasingly see the needs of others. And by his grace, God will grow you in such a way that you will care for them immensely and you will make their needs a priority even over your own. That's one aspect of community here that we see in this text. Living in gospel community will also give you the opportunity to grow in empathy. Uh, what do I mean by empathy? Empathy is, is not just seeing someone else's joys and sorrows, but also seeking to enter into them and feel them and participate in them yourself. That's why one of the things I love is Romans chapter 12. Paul says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weak. Uh, weep. Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 12 and other places that when others are sorrowful in relationship, you yourself, I'm sorrowful because I'm united to you. My, my life is affected by your life. And you see this empathy clearly in verse 14. Notice what Paul says. He says, It was kind of you not just to know my trouble and care for me in it, but notice the important language that Paul uses here. He says, It was kind of you to share in my trouble. Some of you know this. The language behind share there is koinonia. You didn't just have fellowship with me. As I entered into these troubles, you saw yourself as participating in those troubles with me. See, that's what Paul is saying. This is what healthy gospel community is. That we experience in measure imperfectly, but hopefully genuinely as we're called together as believers to say we not only experience humility, but also that empathy of my troubles are not my own. The people around me feel them and want to participate in them with me to care for me in the midst of them. And so Paul shows here that gospel, gospel community isn't only a place where humility exists, but also deep empathy. I mean, it's so important for us to understand that life right now, at least I can speak for myself, is going so fast that it's one of those things where I often miss the troubles that people are going through, miss the joys that people are experiencing. And Paul is saying, slow down. Be in relationship. Notice the troubles and joys of others around you. And the gospel leads you to enter into them because Christ entered into and shared your troubles and even died for your sin. So you're embodying the very gospel by empathizing 
with others. So not just humility and empathy, but lastly, as you live in gospel community, it gives you the opportunity to grow in generosity. Again, this is one of the main themes of this text. The Philippians have partnered in an official capacity with Paul as their apostle. And Paul is saying, listen, you saw me in need. You can see this in verse 11. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. There he talks about gospel contentment. But he says they shared in his trouble. And then in verse 15, they started to provide for him. You, your Philippians, know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. And then he says in verse 16, even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once again. You can see here that the Philippians, the gospel is so working in them that they're generous and generous time and time again. And I love it because not only in Philippians chapter 4, but in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, when he's talking to the Corinthian church, which I'll just summarize it and say they had a lot of problems. And one was that they were not very generous. And Paul is saying, listen, there's this church in Jerusalem. And because of the persecution and the famine that they're experiencing, they don't have food to eat. They don't have necessary supplies. They need material things. Can you give to them? And at first, the, the Corinthian church was like, I don't think so. We got our own problems. I've responded like that a thousand times to material needs around me. But he actually points out the Philippian church, the Macedonians. And he goes, let me tell you about them. Paul in some way starts bragging about the Philippians and saying, they, they didn't have anything. But out of joy and abundance of heart, they gave to the Jerusalem church because they knew that they were part of their own gospel community. They said, listen, we don't have much, but we're going to give above and beyond what we have. Because you are in need, it was an opportunity to show generosity. How often I clutch to things and say, I, I need this. The gospel frees us. and says we can let go in just generosity. They are caring for the needs of Paul. And so in gospel community, you have a real opportunity to tangibly care for the needs of others through generosity. And I love how Paul will say this. He says that that generosity is an act of worship. Verse 18, he says, I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. And notice how Paul describes it. A fragrant offering. A sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. I love how essential and crucial capital W worship is on Sunday morning. But Paul says we also worship throughout the week by being generous to those who are in need. And when you do that, it is worship to God and it is a pleasing aroma. And I love how Paul says, and this is why we can be so generous with what God has first given us. We can so faithfully and generously give to others because God promises to faithfully provide for us. Notice in verse 19. He says, I know you've given a lot, Philippians, but he says, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. It doesn't mean that all the time God is going to provide material abundance for you, but God spiritually will care for you. And then as we pray the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught, Lord, give us our daily bread, he will care for you. 
in a way that is according to his will and for your good, Paul says, you can give generously because you know God will take care of you faithfully. That's the kind of community that the gospel begins to grow amongst God's people. And if you have questions about Christianity or the faith, that's the kind of community that you're invited into. And maybe sometimes you experience that community first, and that's what leads you to see the generosity of God in Christ. It's an imperfect community. But living in gospel community is a place where you can learn humility. You care immensely for others and make their needs your priority. That you can grow in empathy. You don't just know about their troubles and joys, but you share in them as well because you're united together in Christ. And it's opportunity for generosity. You see a need and you long to provide for it. Let me mention this. This is a true story. Not preacherly hyperbole. But there was a young police officer uh, in the Handon Police College. This is North London. He was taking his final exam so that he could be an official police officer. And there's one last question that he has to ask. I'm going to read this question so I can get it right. And you can hear the chaos. Just envision this. It says this. Here's the question that's asked to the patrolman. You are on patrol in London when an explosion occurs in a gas main in a nearby street. On investigation, you find that a large hole has been blown in the footpath and there's an overturned van lying nearby. Inside the van, there's a strong smell of alcohol. Both occupants, a man and a woman, are injured. You recognize one uh, who is the wife of someone you know who is at present away on a conference in the U.S. A passing motorist stops to offer you assistance, and you realize that he is a man who is wanted for a series of violent armed robberies. It's getting more complex. Just at that moment, a man runs from a nearby house shouting that his wife is expecting a baby and that the shock of the explosion has made the birth imminent. Another man is crying for help, having been thrown into an adjacent canal by the explosion, and he cannot swim. Bearing in mind the provisions of the Mental Health Act, describe in a few words what actions you would take. The officer at first responded, well, I would take off my uniform and mingle with the crowd. I don't want the responsibility of having to engage that. It's, it's too much, it's too complex, I wouldn't know what to do. And listen, if you really are involved in community, you'll actually realize that the, the needs are often more complex than even that silly story makes out. And we're often tempted to just back off, take off the uniform and mingle so that we're not responsible for anything. And hear what you see is the gospel has led Paul and the Philippians to say, I'm in. Because of Jesus and what he's done for me, how he entered into the chaos for me and dealt with my sin, I'm into relationship. I know it can be messy. I know it can be beautiful. I know it can cause sorrow. I know it can cause joy. But through that community, God will grow me in humility. He'll grow me in empathy. And he'll grow me in generosity. The other thing that God wants us to know here in this text is not just the joy of living in gospel community, but also living with gospel contentment as well. Now let me share this story. Uh, some of you know this story. It's always one of the more fun ones that I get to tell, but when I was a senior in high school, I was not a believer in Jesus. In fact, I, I really had problems with the church for a thousand different reasons. So it's very ironic when I, when I go home, some of my friends are like, are you still a pastor? That's still so weird to me. 
But the ones who tried to convert me to Christianity, they would take me to a variety of different things, to hear these speakers and to do this. Well, some of my friends knew that at that time I really enjoyed uh, lifting and football and things like that. And so they took me to what was called, some of you have probably maybe been to this, but the power team, right? Any of you, I don't know if any of you have ever gone to the power team. It's an amazing experience. But they took, you know, Clay Warner, who did not believe in Jesus, and he was going to be converted. And I'll never forget this. Here's this guy who's just a giant. I mean, I think he probably put like John Cena and The Rock and all those other people to shame, right? Just, he's massive. And he gets on this bench and he goes, all right. He's sitting on the edge of the bench. 500 pounds. All right, I got this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to bench 500 pounds. And he said it just in an accent like that, okay? And he gets on the bench, and of course the, the bar is bending, and he gets it down to his chest, and he's got all these other muscle-bound guy bound, you know, muscle bound guys around him, and he goes, I can't get it. And so they lift the, the bar up, it's bending, they put it back down, and he gets to the edge of the seat, and he says, but you know everybody? Keeps on pointing like this. I'm like, is he pointing at me? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So he goes, boys, put on another 100 pounds. And so they put on 245 plates, and now he's got 590, almost 600 pounds on there. So he puts more on there. And then he gets on that bench, and he throws it up like it might as well have been a feather. And everyone's like, yeah, that's amazing. Oh. I thought, well, impressive, 600 pounds. I would die under that weight. Is that really what that text is intended for? I can bench press 600 pounds. I would say uh, Paul would have a little bit different reading of that. And although it's helpful that when we face those athletic things and we can say, you know, whether it's on the basketball court or the baseball field or whatever else it might be, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It tends to only be quoted after they win. I want to hear you quote that when you lose. Like, the Super Bowl that you've been dreaming about the whole life. Can you endure that through the power of Christ? That's a little bit more of what Paul's getting after. Uh, let me take a stab at defining contentment here. You'll notice what Paul says. He says in verse 11, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned that in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I think gospel contentment is this, in light of this passage. The learned ability to genuinely, deeply, and calmly trust God in every circumstance, strengthened by Jesus Christ. The learned ability to genuinely, calmly, and deeply trust God in every circumstance, strengthened by Christ. Let me unpack that a little bit. It's learned. I love that Paul says that. Paul's an apostle. You can almost say, like, I've known how to do this since day one. And Paul says, no, even I had to learn this. Verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Verse 12, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. Paul didn't get it immediately. 
It took him time. And God was patient with Paul for him to learn that contentment. It was not a gift that he was given. It was something that he learned over time. That as God proved himself trustworthy over and over and over and over again in Paul's life and in your life, you can learn to trust him and be content. It's the learned ability to genuinely trust God. You don't have to fake it. You don't have to say that you trust God even when you're struggling to do it. You don't have to fake it. It's genuine. It's deep. Not just learning a learned ability to genuinely, but to deeply trust God. It means that your heart is learning to trust the heart of God. And it's not just genuinely and deeply, but it's also calmly. I know how often my heart frantically is like, but this and this and what about this and what about this? And Paul says, I get it. My heart's been there a thousand times. But my heart has learned to genuinely, deeply, and calmly trust God. In the midst of every circumstance, every circumstance. Now notice it's the learned ability to genuinely, deeply, and calmly trust God in every circumstance. Paul begins to outline this in verse 12. He says, In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty, of facing hunger, of facing abundance, of facing need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In every situation. But he had to learn it. When life was overflowing, Paul was content. When life was overwhelming, Paul had learned to be content. When life was experiencing abundance, Paul knew this gospel of contentment. When life seemed woefully insufficient, Paul trusted God. When friends were everywhere all the time, Paul was content. When Paul was alone in a prison cell, he was content. It's interesting here, he's encouraging that to the Philippians and he's encouraging that to all of us here this morning. The learned ability to genuinely, deeply, and calmly trust God in every circumstance. Now, if you're hearing the weight of that, some of you might go, yeah, not going to happen. I'm going to flip out. I'm going to be paralyzed. I'm going to try to frantically work to control everything on my own. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And Paul goes, yeah, yeah, you can't do this on your own. I love it how Paul's actually kind of stealing a Greek philosophical word for contentment that meant self-dependence and self-sufficiency. That's what contentment was, that you had it within yourself to deal with life's struggles and Paul is saying, my satisfaction is not in my circumstances, it's in Christ. And my sufficiency is not in me, it's in Christ. And that's why Paul here says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The learned ability to genuinely, deeply, and calmly trust God in every circumstance as you are strengthened by Christ. In some ways, our culture encourages us to go, I got this. And Paul says, 
you'll learn that you don't. You don't got it. You don't got it in life. In every situation, it's more than you yourself can handle, whether it's great or whether it's hard. And Paul says, Jesus will give you the strength to endure the great times and to endure the hard times as well. So that your heart could say this, this moment, this season, this situation is immensely hard. I mean, the gospel gives you the freedom to acknowledge that. But Christ alone is my satisfaction. And on Christ alone am I dependent. When I have everything I need and when the circumstances of life are making me terrified, I'm slowly learning to be content. Let me end with this as we conclude Philippians. I've enjoyed being in it. Paul has said that he wrote it for the the joy of their faith, that they would grow in the joy of their faith in Christ. You'll notice at the very end, verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. What's the opposite of loneliness? The opposite of loneliness is living in gospel community. And even as you live in gospel community, it's learning to live with a kind of gospel contentment. That kind of gospel community and contentment can only be found in Christ. And so if you're a believer in Jesus, you're continuing to learn those things more and more deeply. And if you're not a believer in Jesus this morning, God himself is inviting you into that. A community of imperfect but yet genuine humility, empathy, and generosity. A place where you can learn over time that you can trust God in every circumstance. But Paul started his letter with grace. Grace and peace to you from our God and Father through our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says. Philippians chapter 2, he talks about God's grace and Jesus humbling himself to the point of death on a cross for us. And now he even ends it. Don't forget. Even if you struggle with humility and empathy and generosity, even if you've not yet learned gospel contentment and you still struggle to trust God, Paul ends with, there's grace for you. It's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He begins with grace. He ends with grace. Grace is the oxygen you breathe to live the Christian life. It's not the initial door that you walk through. It is the entire path that you walk on. Grace, grace, grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you as you seek to live in gospel community and you seek to live with gospel contentment. Let me pray. Father, give us that. We thank you that in Christ you have, you've given us gospel community, a place to to grow in displaying and embodying your heart to others. We do it so imperfectly, but we long to do it more. And Father, give us that gospel contentment. Help us to learn it that ability to trust you genuinely and calmly and deeply in every circumstance. So whatever we are facing today, each person here is facing different things. Help them, help us to be satisfied in Christ alone and dependent on him alone. And therefore, we really can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.